Hey, well, welcome and welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And we are back for another wonderful episode with a youth advocate, you know, a young person who is out there doing the thing, as I say, or maybe as they say, and I agree, they're out there doing it. So I brought in um, another young adult, um, Nicole, and I would like Nicole to introduce herself. Hi, thank you so much, Karis. Um, So my name is Nicole. Hi, everyone. I am a mental health advocate, and I met Karis through the Building Hope 2022 Strategy Summit in D.C. in November last year. It was great to be here with you guys. My journey with mental health just started when I was a student in high school, and then that kind of ignited my passion to be a mental health advocate. And since then, I've been working with um, some mental health nonprofits and um, some governmental agencies as well to just to see how to be a good advocate for youth and just to raise mental health awareness in our community. Fantastic. So when we first met, and first of all, you know, I keep, I keep saying when I, when I keep talking to some of the young adults um, on the podcast and elsewhere, you know, how, you know, I try to think about what I was doing at high school and this wasn't it. Meaning, you know, I wasn't, I probably was trying to be social. I was not very good at being very social uh, versus trying to like do things that were really sort of socially minded. Do you know what I mean? So um, I'm always so impressed to hear, you know, what people start thinking about and doing in high school and then go on to do as they're, um, you know, going to college and so forth. So you had talked a little bit about what it's like for the immigrant community in particular, when we think about sort of mental health, especially sort of in the Western and in the U.S. sort of frame. So um, how was that for you? And then how do you help other students who are also uh, maybe English as a second language or also immigrants? Um, so mental health is definitely a stigma in my own culture. It was really difficult to talk about it with my parents and there's still like, it's, it's still a pretty taboo topic within my family. So I just try to do my best. And then because I know that not everyone is ready to have that conversation, I try to just like talk to people, maybe like not in my own family, but um, in the community, maybe not even in the same cultural background, because I know that I can do something. I don't have to do it within my family. So to help other immigrants, I recently um, received a mini grant with Houston Community Action Council, and I will be doing a project on ESL students' mental health. Basically, I want to connect art and education to raise mental health awareness amongst ESL students. So I just plan to like have presentations on like what mental health is, um, some stigmas around mental health, how um, some resources that can help them, and then like art activities as well. So they can learn some healthy coping skills whenever they feel stressed or they feel like they have no outlet to like express their feelings. So that's what I'm doing currently. Yeah, I think a lot of people are doing like great work in immigrant mental health. So I'm just happy that I'm part of that movement. You know, when you when you talk about sort of your your own culture and then talking to your parents or your family, what was their understanding of like what you were trying to tell them. And can you can you talk a little bit about which culture that is so, so people have a frame of reference? 
Yeah, so I'm Chinese and I moved here when I was 15. So I was like a freshman in high school. And then I, I had a lot of difficulties like fitting in in terms of like having a heavy accent and just kind of like making new friends in a new country, new environments. Everyone is speaking like another language. So I have like trouble reconciling with my own culture to begin with because of like some experience I had back in China. And then when I try to like work through it, my parents are telling me that I was ungrateful for my own culture and then my own mental health issues should be kept within the family because it's like bringing bad reputations or bad luck into our family. So for me, it was pretty like um, isolating. And then when I talk more about them, about mental health, they, I think they understand it more than when I was in high school, but it's still like a working progress because um, like they, they've been in China for like a few decades and I understand that it was difficult for them to completely change their mindset towards mental health. Yeah, I try to accept that and then just like work with where they are and then not mm-hmm. to force them into like being a huge mental health advocate. Yeah, yeah. That's such a common story. Um, I think for, you know, a little bit different when I think about sort of, you know, my family and being African American and um, you know, when I first started struggling, everything was kept in the house. Everything was kept within the family. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the the term we use, even though I'm I'm very careful about describing this term, is like you don't air your dirty laundry. Now, having right, a mental health right. issue is not dirty laundry. It's not dirty, mm-hmm. but really the saying means that look, we keep sort of our struggles within the within the family. We don't share it outside of the family. We don't put our struggles mm-hmm. out on the laundry line, in other words. So um, that's kind of what I had to go through um, for, wow, a, a long time. You know, even in my adult life, you know, um, uh, my yeah. family was um, quite strict about that. And mm-hmm. there were like family groups that they could have gone to to have better understanding of what I was going through. They refused to go. And yeah. like I was involved in NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And um, same. yeah, oh, really the same? Okay. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so my, my, my mom and dad though did when I was on the board, they, they did mm-hmm. actually come to the conferences with me because oh, I, I wanted nice. them to uh, be able to see what I was doing. Yeah. So my, my story was covered in a, in a national newspaper and I asked mm. my dad's permission. Like I even did that mm-hmm. knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, we share the same last name. I would be talking about my family um, in the most appropriate in ways. <laughs> um, and so it was really interesting um, to negotiate that with my dad. And, and my dad even agreed to have the reporter talk to him. So, you know, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like baby steps, meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, how did you find places outside of the family? Because you know, I think for both of our cultures, very uh, collectivistic, very family oriented. And it's not just mom and dad, it's mom, dad, grandma, auntie, uncle, cousin. (laughs) It's like the whole, (laughs) that's a family unit. So if if you don't have your family, where were you going like to get um, support? Yeah. So um, when I first got support, I was a senior in high school. Right now I'm 24. It was like a long time ago. But um, when I was a senior, I was basically just having a crisis. And then I knew that if I didn't reach out for help 
uh, myself, I would not be able to make it because my parents are pretty against getting mental health help. They're just saying like, oh, if you if you need to talk to someone, just talk to us. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you guys are the reason why I need to talk to someone. (laughs) So I just kind of like a lot of things are just like Googling and then trying to find like what's was the best for me and for my insurance is really difficult to navigate the insurance system. So basically, I just like took myself to a hospital and then just, you know, learn about the services that um, were provided in the area and then try to make notes. And then when I was a senior, I was already 18. So that was great because I did not need any parental consent. So I just like took myself to um, therapies and get like medications and stuff. So a lot of stuff are like self-advocacy because I knew that I had to do it for myself, even though like if they're not supportive, that's fine because I'm, I was there to support myself. I don't, I don't really have words for trying to figure that out at 18. You know what I mean? That, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're still trying to figure out who you are and who, who you want to be in the midst of recognizing that you needed help and trying to figure out, like, navigate that. You know, that's, that's a mm-hmm. lot. You know, if you, if you think back on that time, what do you wish you would have had? And again, you know, your, your parents are and your family is where they are. But, mm-hmm. but outside of that, what do you, what do you wish was available to you? at that time to make it easier to get the help that you needed? Honestly, the first thing that came into my mind was to just have like a support system in school in terms of like people being nicer and um, teachers being more attentive and counselors being less busy, which I knew was like really difficult for counselors. So it's just like kind of like um, people being nicer and more patient to like the quiet students and like someone who didn't speak much English I think just kind of asking a question of like oh how are you doing are you doing okay you are so quiet um why why did you drop so many classes I think that would be something that I would really appreciate back then but like in terms of like services I would obviously I would hope there was you know, mental health classes, um, some sort of flyers, any flyers about mental health in a very ideal, very ideal environment. I would love to have like psychologists or therapists in school, but I knew that was really difficult. Um, now that I knew about like the difficulties of hiring a mental health professional in public schools. But yeah, I would just hope that people could be um, a little bit more patient, uh, a little bit more compassionate. And then I would hope school districts um, would have a little bit like money to spend on mental health education and services. Wow. Wow. You know, that's such a, you know, in, to me, things like compassion, kindness, patience, it just seems like such an easy thing. And maybe it's not, maybe I'm Pollyanna, <laughs> you know, or somebody who's not very realistic about kind of how humans work. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I think, uh, you know, as, as um, an advocate, you know, person who does sort of that work, I think, you know, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you policy niceness? <laughs> you know, you can't put, you can't write that like, yeah. you know, you shall be compassionate. Yeah. Right? But I think, you know, it's really interesting that, that sometimes in school systems, somebody who worked in school systems years ago, mm-hmm. that the attention sometimes gets paid to the achiever. 
mm-hmm. you know, to the person yeah. who is achieving or overachieving, that that's where the attention goes. Um, and then some people, you know, may slip through the cracks because they're quieter or because they're, mm-hmm. you know, off doing their own thing. And so I think you're raising a really good point about as much attention is paid to the person who is achieving or overachieving, Mm -hmm. there needs to be the same attention paid to someone who is quieter and doing their own thing or doing it in their own way. Were there a lot of other Chinese or immigrant students who were also within your school that, you know, were were you all working together or again, not to, not to stereotype or clump or anything like that, (laughs) but, but sometimes it's kind of like, where do you find your, your niche? Do you know what I mean? Where do you find your peeps? Yeah. So did did you find that in high school? Um, in high school, honestly, I had a really difficult time, like honestly, reconciling my own culture and just like talking to other Chinese students because that just reminded me of what happened back in China. So I try to be nice to them and I try to go to libraries and study with them. I know very stereotypical and just go to libraries every day. But as kind of like my mental health conditions deteriorated I just started to isolate myself because I didn't want them to Mm. find out that I was not doing well and I was just kind of like against getting help uh, when I was not doing that well so I was pretty lonely and isolated when I was in high school but yeah there, there was a lot of Chinese students in my high school to be honest but it kind of like did the opposite for my mental health. Okay. So we have a lot in common yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, I, I, I wasn't really a loner in, in high school. Sadly, I was, my, my brother would say, Oh my God, I just couldn't, I couldn't even pretend I knew you. <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks. I don't know what to think about that. And he said, well, because I was, sometimes I would be very loud mm-hmm. and, and the loud was trying to, I think when I think back on it, trying to attract attention because I wasn't like the popular student or I wasn't, you know, I was just sort of this oddball student, so to speak. So I think, um, though, uh, one of the things that, you know, when you were talking about this, that sort of happened to me sort of at an earlier age was, um, you know, I'm a global nomad and army brat as I've talked about on the podcast before. And so, um, you know, I was born in Germany and then, you know, we lived in the United States and then we went to Korea and then we came back to the United oh, States, wow. et cetera. And, you know, um, one of the things my, my father wanted us to do was to learn the language and be integrated into the culture of mm-hmm. wherever it was we were living that, yeah. you know, we're guests there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he wanted us to um, learn as much about that culture uh, as possible. Like I was a Korean Girl Scout so I don't know. There's there's some picture of some Girl Scout, you know, troop in which there's this black girl. Somewhere, all somewhere the other on Korean the internet. Girl Scouts. <laughs> yeah, so somewhere on the internet, somewhere in Seoul, Korea, somebody has that picture. But um, you know, I would I would come back to the U- United States in particular and I would have a funny accent, I would dress different. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times the black kids in school like thought I was really, really weird. So mm-hmm. um, they thought I was different. Um, and and I, um, my parents did also a very good job of ensuring we understood about our Black history and our Black culture and a awesome. you know, very tight-knit family. But it still was kind of like this, um, you know, I was very much bullied by Black girls when I was younger. So, you know, definitely. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I can hear kind of, not that you were talking about bullying, but certainly about 
that fitting in um, within your own culture, Mm -hmm. um, especially if there's some trauma related there, uh, makes it very, very hard. So trying to find, um, again, sort of who are my peeps? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) literally, I think I just found my peeps like in the last, you know, maybe five or seven years. And and I found out they're kind of like... like I, I found my home in Comic-Cons, oddly. So oh. like who would have ever thought? And I'm like, the, I'm not the oldest Comic-Coner there or the cosplayer, but um, I wish I had known about that when I was much younger. Um, I think I would have found a very nice kind of uh, community so, sort of in the cosplay and Comic-Con community when I was younger, but I didn't know about it. So that's, that's great. Like when I like eventually found my peeps, <laughs> peeps, I love that word, uh, was when I was in college. I just slowly, so as my mental health gotten better, I learned how to accept myself. And then I learned how to be vulnerable with other people, which was really difficult. Mm -hmm. And then that's how I like slowly accepting people into my life and then just accepting Mm -hmm. my flaws and then just starting to appreciate myself. And, And that's something that kind of like, kind of hearing your experience is something that I want to ask you is like, you you sound like like a third culture kid. I I think I read that book a while back. It's about like kids that are just like everywhere because of their parents' jobs and and other factors, and then they're like live in different countries. So how did you develop your cultural identity since you lived in so many different countries? You know, I forget about the term third third culture. I usually use global nomad, but third yeah. culture would be about right. So I think there are a couple of things. One is, again, I think I think my parents were quite savvy and, and bright about thinking about how they were doing this, right? You know, many mil- military families, they don't have to travel with, uh, with whoever it is who's in the military, who's going overseas. Um, you can choose to stay on base or with a family member while the other person serves their, their tour. So they just decided not to do that. But, but what they did do is every time we would travel, no matter, even if it was in the United States, we would always go in between tours and they were usually three years at a time. Mm-hmm. We would go back to my grandmother and grandfather's house. And so it was my Aww. grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle, my cousins all lived in this big house in New Jersey. <laughs> and so we would always go back there. You know, my brother and I might spend the whole summer there. Mm-hmm. And that gave us opportunity then to also connect to like this whole host of other cousins and, wow. you know, other aunties. And so I think that was sort of how they, they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we traveled, uh, my parents were again, sort of very intentional and we had all of these games like the black history mystery game or, you know, the Harriet Tubman card deck. Um, you know, I had these comic books, my brother had them and then I had them. I think they're called golden legacy. Yeah. Golden legacy. And they were all about all of the black, um, heroes and heroines and sort of in our culture. So like, you know, Harriet Tubman, um, you know, Martin Luther King, even Malcolm X is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could go on and on. It's like, I have about 10 or 15 of these comics. I have the whole series from the sixties. Oh my God. I just aged myself. <laughs> All right, so you know how old I am. All right. But anyway, so they, I think they started in the sixties and they went into like the mid seventies. And so I have mm-hmm. every single uh, one that my was first my brothers and then they were given to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how kind of like, my parents thought about making sure we understood who we are as a black 
folk, mm-hmm. even though we were traveling around, you know, <laughs> like, you know, when I came back to the United States from Germany, man, I spoke German and people are like, well, what is this black girl doing speaking German? But that's what we did. Right. And, you know, come back from Korea, I can still speak Korean. And yes, a lot of times Korean people are like, what just happened? Did she just speak perfect <laughs> Korean to us? And it's like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say when you when you talk about the importance of compassion and kindness, I think that experience helped me think about why compassion mm-hmm. and kindness are so important. You know, when I see somebody who is sitting by themselves or, you know, a loner, I've seen it in, in work settings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the person I'll reach out to because I kind of know what it feels Aww. like to be that person. Yeah. Same. Do you do that at all? Like, Yeah, I do that too. It's just like, sometimes you just like, if I see someone in my class, um, that's just like really quiet and then just like always just walk in the class and walk out of the class by themselves. I would just like say hi to them and then just to gauge if they're um, open to like having a conversation or not. I think it's just like, a just in case thing that I do to just like let them know that oh hey this stranger cares about me and then the stranger is nice to me I think that's something that is really like really small but is re- it could be really important to like someone's day um, you never know what they're going through that day yeah exactly thumbs up snaps claps the whole nine yards of total agreement with all of that that a simple hello, a little bit of, I'm not a, I'm not an eye contact person, but a little <laughs> eye contact and a head nod. Cause sometimes you, you, you're right. You don't know. Like I do that with people on the street uh, because we walk around in our own bubbles so much, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know like even for unhoused people, you know, I think people walk by them as if they're invisible, but they're not they're not invisible. They're clearly visible, but mm-hmm. we don't um, kind of make that human connection. And so, you know, I might say hi to somebody, nod and keep on walking. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody's yelling and screaming, I'll nod and say, Hey, I see you. And I see you today. And I'll just keep on walking. And it might be from across the street. You know, mm-hmm. I never know, but um, I think you're, you're right. Is um, a simple act of just saying hello can mean so much to somebody and you just never know. And, and yeah. if you don't do it, they don't, they don't get it, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that's powerful. So you talked about the um, Houston Community Action Council uh, and the award that you got. So how did you come up with this idea of, are you an artist as well? Like you talked about art and oh, doing, man. doing sort of art. I am not remotely close to an artist. Um, <laughs> I I mean, I was in art club in college, but, you know, it's, it's more like kind of like getting people together. And instead, like, oh, I need to be the best artist in, in order to be in an art club. So that was like probably the closest thing I have, you know, to, to art. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. the reason why I thought art was really important in terms of mental health advocacy, I think creativity is really important and just introducing that healthy coping skill into people's minds are really important as well. So for me, um, when I feel like, oh, I feel like, I have no skills or no tools to like, express myself. And I feel like I, like I'm about to like explode. So I, I think like having that coping skill of like creativity, just like, Oh, I, I can draw something today or, um, I can like, um, paint a jar today. That, that's pretty important to me. It's just like introducing like different components of, um, like coping skills. And then hopefully they can 
rearrange those feelings and then come up with some creative coping skills that fits to their own unique needs. Wow, very good. That's really, really cool. You know, when you're thinking about also um, supporting immigrant and English as a second language students, is this does it make it easier, do you think, for people to come to have these kind of conversations because it starts off with something like art that's easy to engage people? Yeah, so I, I honestly feel like what I want to do is try to like open people up in terms of like having a conversation on like their culture and mental health and just kind of like feel like they belong in this community. And I think like art can really help people explore their inner world, um, kind of like beyond the limitation of words and language. So by engaging in this creative process, um, they can just tap into their thoughts and just discuss their artwork and how that connects or relates to their emotions or life experiences. And from that, hopefully um, people can, you know, just develop healthy coping skills and know how to express their feelings without, you know, trying to write um, an essay or trying to talk to people. Like you don't have to talk, um, whatever works for you. If art works for you, that's great. And I think that's great um, for immigrants. That could be a means to just explore express yourself beyond like having to converse with people um, if you're not feel comfortable with the language just yet. Yeah. And, you know, we we were also talking a little bit about since you went to the uh, Building Hope Strategy Summit, you know, a lot of that was around strategy and policy and legislation, especially since, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, youth mental health crisis um, in the U.S., you know, how do we get people like young people to the table so that, you know, the policies that are being developed or legislation that's being developed, folks are there, not just young people, but you know, we think about, you know, representation matters. We all have different experiences. So we need a diversity of young people coming. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you, what do you think about those kind of ideas and how would you think about how youth can be involved? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I just think that education is really important i think youth would be a lot more more likely to take initiatives if they think that they have the autonomy to create change and make a difference in their lives if we feel like um oh everything is is just going to happen and then i can't really do anything to change anything or um i feel like oh this like school is just a huge factory i'm gonna get in get a degree and then get out, get a job or go to college, what have you. It's just like having a sense of autonomy and making youth feel like they have ownership over their life and over their community. That's a lot more easier than just like forcing people to um, advocate for this and that. I think it's um, more long lasting and more powerful for youth to choose that advocacy themselves and just like oh um like that's something that I care about um, mental health is something that is really important to me and everyone around me and I have the power to make changes and do you feel like you have that power yeah to make those changes I do cool. yeah and and that summit that I went to um it was really empowering and then I was so grateful to be able to meet so many professionals in, you know, in a field of policy and like 
and and nonprofits and just like providing services and stuff like that. And meeting other youth is really empowering as well. It's just like, oh, I'm not alone in this advocacy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of other people who are doing the same, and then we're all working towards the same goal. We want to make a difference. I think that's really empowering. Oh, very cool. Very cool. You know, there there are people who are very invested and see the importance of having mental health curriculum in school and students to have choice of being able to take that curriculum. And then there are people who are like, yeah, no, that needs to be the parent's prerogative to say whether or not a student should have mental health and mental health curriculum, you know, access to mental health education in school. So what do we need to do to help folks who are kind of thinking that somehow parents should have that oversight? I, yeah, I feel like mental health is just like physical health. If we have physical health education, then I think it makes sense to have mental health education. And it's not like introducing an idea to um, like a kid's brain. It's just kind of like widening their um, perspective and letting them know that, oh, you know, this exists and then this could happen to anyone in my life. And these are the skills that I can use to cope with it. And that kind of like um, back to like taking charge of their own health and just like advocacy, like, oh, okay, if I'm not feeling well, I don't have to like be quiet. Here are the skills I can use to help myself. I don't have to like wait for parents or teachers to notice me. So I think that's really important and kind of like Sino's kind of di- um, similar to the education on gender identity and sexual orientation like teachers like they can't really talk about that in school because they feel like it can like negatively affect their kids it's just about like education and not about affecting their health or um, identity in any way just kind of like letting them know more about the world yeah yeah snaps claps I'm yes. <laughs> I think I think you made a really that's such a good point that it's like if we can talk about physical health why can't we talk about mental health? Mm-hmm. Talking about physical health doesn't make you think suddenly you have all of these physical things going on. Um neither does mental health at least that's the evidence of course that mm-hmm. talking about mental health doesn't make you suddenly have depression. That that was probably already there. Mm-hmm. So is there any, you know, you've been you know, as I tell everybody, dropping mad wisdom <laughs> and dropping wisdom throughout our conversation, you know, is there any um, one last piece of wisdom, I call it wisdom dropping, that you want to leave with our audience before we wrap up? Yeah, um, I think I think I just want to emphasize on like the power of empathy. Um, you know, the world can be a really dark place and it's really easy to be cynical, but I don't think humanity is built on cynicism. We have to choose hope. We have to have hope because we flourish in empathy. And, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, we're just a speck of dust in the universe, like nothing matters. But I feel like just because we are a speck of dust in a, in a universe, it doesn't mean we're meaningless and it's insignificant. Um, and it's just like, if you if we support each other and shed light on those who are on the edge of falling apart, that's far from insignificant. Um, you never know what you can do to the other person. You never know, um, like a small act of kindness can change someone's life's trajectory. So yeah, and if you're not feeling well, if you feel like 
you're depressed or you're going through um, a tough time in your life right now, please don't be afraid to reach out. And if you feel like there's, you can't really fit in and um, um, nobody's there to be with you, just remember that you are the person who can be with yourself. And if there's no place for you in school, just create one for yourself. There could be just you in that space. And that space can be filled up the empathy and hope and just advocate for yourself. Um, you can save your life and you are far from insignificant. Love that. Yes, you are far from insignificant. So Nicole, thank you so, so much for joining me on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. It's been such an honor just to get to know you a little bit more and have this um, you know, very, very important conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, uh, y'all know what to do and you know what my producer tells you to do. So from the producer, like, subscribe, comment. Okay, got that producer. I said it. Um, and then um, for me, the most important thing to do is is to share because there's somebody who is going to be touched by this information or needs this information that we talked about today. So thank you so much for joining Unapologetically Black Unicorns and we will see you next week.